fitness is your ability to cope with and recover from stress. And stress is an inevitable factor in your life and in the lives of the people in your organization. A fit, healthy team is an energized, effective team, but it is not enough to just tell your people what to do, you need to show them. If you want your people to have a better quality of life and a more rewarding career, then it is vital that you lead from the front. Your choices, your behaviors are in the spotlight. My name's Jay Unwin, it's time to get fit to lead. Welcome back to Fit to Lead with me, Jay Unwin, and an enthusiastic Happy New Year to everyone listening. This week, I'm chatting to health and performance coach Sam Griffiths. We chat about hardship and resilience, self-awareness, and the importance of building your minimum. We also wish you a Merry Christmas at the end because this was going to be released on December the 23rd, but then I decided to take two weeks off, which I must say I enjoyed immensely. Hey Sam, how are you doing? Very good. Thank you for having me on. Well, it's it's good to have you here and thank you for being so... Uh, so patient over the last few weeks with all our lovely technical challenges that we've had trying to get this conversation sorted. I've had to buy a new pair of uh, AirPod Pros just to uh, come on the show, so it's it's worked in my favour. Other wireless headphones are available. <laughs> I don't I don't think I have to say that really. Um, it is yeah, it's good that we finally got this because when we first kind of got in touch, um, all those well, I guess months ago now uh we've got a lot of complementary ideas i think a lot of a lot of stuff that we that we talk about both of us uh are quite aligned but we've also got our own ways of doing things so i think this should be an interesting conversation uh at least i hope so for everyone else's benefit yeah absolutely and, and um you know there's not actually i don't come across many people in my my area of work on linkedin through reading their posts and stuff where i go yeah that's a person that i'd really like to connect with um so yeah we've we've hit a number of things where we go yeah okay that makes sense that makes sense i like his way of thinking i feel i feel privileged now i feel very privileged so um the way i always like to start these conversations is is with a nice open-ended question which i uh which i tend to ask everyone and uh, i'd love to get your thoughts on this what does fitness mean to you so fitness for me now is firmly in the resilience camp. So for me, it helps me build and and hold my resilience. And um, it's kind of like my main driver. So you can keep fit to look better. You can keep fit to burn fat. You can keep fit to raise your endorphins, um, to move well, all those different things, which are all included in why um, I keep fit, but my number one reason that drives me now is is my mental resilience. So I see fitness as a form of resilience and it fits into that puzzle of resilience um, because when we have that conversation um, about resilience, it's, you know, it's always emotional resilience, mental resilience, mindset. And actually we forget this really significant piece is like the physical body. Um, and all that stress and pressure and, and things that we we have in our lives and that we hold that you know it embeds itself in the physical body so your physical body needs to be able to um to manage that and, and absorb that stress so for me fitness is resilience that's an interesting one there's a couple of things i'd like to kind of draw out on on what you've just said um one of them is this idea that uh, the physical body gets forgotten sometimes in that context. And I think you're absolutely right. I think it's been a bit of a perhaps um, pendulum swing. And I feel like I've been talking about pendulums swinging a lot recently because of this kind of humans have a tendency to knee jerk react to things. And uh, for a long time, physical health was the only health that was really discussed and more recently, the past decade, mental health, mental well-being has made its way more to the fore and perhaps to the detriment of physical health in the sense that in my, in my dealings with companies and organisations now, there's way more talk about mental health than there is about physical health. And it's it's almost like the, the pendulum needs to kind of come back to that middle ground where both are considered um, in tandem rather than 
uh, as two very separate things. Um, the other thing that I wanted to ask you is you mentioned the word resilience there. And now this has become a bit of a buzzword in many circles. It's become a buzzword, you know, in, in companies, organizations talking about uh, building resilience and stuff like that. Uh, you get resilience workshops and trainings and so on and so forth. But what does resilience actually mean? Because you keep re referring to kind of fitness is resilience. How would you define resilience? Well, the, the dictionary definition is um, the ability the, the ability to bounce back, isn't it? The ability to bounce back. Um, I often describe it as, let's say layers. So on the bottom layer is yourself as the person. And on the top layer is events, situations and occurrences. And in the middle, there's this buffer. And that's your resilience. Um, so for me, resilience is um, skills and behaviours and strategies that build this buffer between you and outside circumstances and, and situations. So it's kind of like <laughs> wrapping yourself up in bubble wrap, um, but the bubble wrap is all the different things that you can do to uh, to build your your resilience and build your capacity. Yeah, I like that analogy. That's very. I'm quite a visual person, and um imagining those layers in between you and the events I, I really like that because we often um we often find it hard as people um to separate ourselves from what's going on around us we like to have control over things it's why um philosophies like the law of attraction and stuff like that hold so much sway with people because they like to feel like they can control what's going on around them through just the way they're thinking and acting and stuff like that. And in reality, obviously we can't do that. Um, we can't control everything which happens to us. We can control certain things, uh, but it's very minimal compared to the kind of the, 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 the other stuff, uh, you know, we're affected. We're at the mercy of other people's decisions and behaviors. We're at the mercy of chance. Um, there's a lot of chaos, a lot of um, unknowns. And and so that, that can be quite hard, I think, for a lot of people to deal with. But I, I like that idea of going, well, you can't control those things that are on the outside. You can't control these the, the, the external um, circumstances and uh, the, the events, as you put it. But we can build that buffer. We can build that bubble wrap, that protection, that crumple zone, like at the front of a car. You know, if someone decides to just drive headlong into you, you've got stuff in your car like crumple zones and airbags and things like that to, to help protect what's inside. Um, so I guess, yeah, being able to build those things in. And when you say, when, when we're talking about building those things in, those bubble wrap, what's that bubble wrap? What are those layers made up of? Is it is it um, kind of behaviours? Is it certain behaviours? Is it certain, you know, what, what would you say you can build that from? Yeah, so I use the word buffer. Um, Oh, the best way I have you ever done zorbing, Jay? <laughs> I haven't, but it has really appealed to me for a long time. It looks okay. like something that would be right up my street. So that's a good visual representation. If yeah. you know what zorbing is, when you put yourself in that big bubble thing and they roll you down a hill, to me, the zorb is the resilience is your buffer. Um, so a really simple one, like um, like financially, you know, we talk about well-being, we talk about resilience, okay? Um, and, you know, I'm a an owner-managed business, um, so I work a lot with owner-managed businesses and self-employed people and things like that. And one of the things that I was talking about this week with someone was about a financial buffer, um, which I call your survival bucket, um, which is basically having a survival fund of one month, three months, six months worth of overheads, your personal overheads for your finances and all that kind of stuff. But that is a buffer, right? So the bigger that buffer is, the bigger the bigger that um, survival bucket of um, finances that you have that's separate to your medium term savings, separate to like your long term savings, like your pension and things like that. That acts like a buffer. So if I lose clients or something goes wrong in the business, um, I have a buffer. I have a margin of error that can um, help me um, defend against that and, and feel relaxed in that situation because I've got this buffer. Um, that's just a financial um, example of that and I'm not a financial expert um, but that's something that's relevant to business owners um, but then physically you know as we're talking about if you're physically fitter um, and the work that you're doing is making you tired making you fatigued then 
the more the more fit you are, more physically fit you are, you should be able to handle the stresses, the strains, and the physical demanding efforts of your work, even if that's um, office work. Yeah, yeah, because I think that that's something which is um, often overlooked is the physical demand of uh, sedentary work, really. I mean, we, we often think of physically difficult jobs as being um, ones where you're on your feet all day or you're doing something really physically active. If you think about, you know, farmers carting around heavy machinery and things like that, you think about um, trawlermen. Um, my wife's from a fishing family and, and, and you know, the, the kind of the work that the deckhands do on, on, on the trawlers is intense and it's long shifts and they might be out for 10 days at a time. Or you might think of someone like um, a postman who's just like caning the steps for, for hours and um and you and you don't really think of the physical demands of sitting still but there are still physical demands right there are, i mean of course there are mental demands but also the physical demands uh, of that you you're more likely to struggle with sitting related injuries if you're in uh, a poor state of physical fitness right yeah exactly and um you know imagine experiencing things like lower back pain yeah um, and especially that, like that chronic back pain, it's not, not really necessarily like a high level of pain on that sort of pain threshold, that kind of one to 10 level might be low level, but it's there all the time. Yeah. Um, if you've got lower back pain or you've got back injury, that's really debilitating. It's really distracting. Um, and it's really draining, um, on your mental, emotional energy and the work that you're trying to do. Um, if you've kind of got this, this lower back pain, um, you know, distracting your attention all the time um, and that's where i kind of see that path of fitness is resilience because um you know fitness is the ability to perform a task so what tasks are you performing okay you're sitting in a chair a lot so can you uh mobilize and and use your body move your body um, do mobility work flexibility work those kind of things that make sitting in a chair for longer periods of time easier and yeah. More resilient. yeah yeah, absolutely. And it's, I mean, if we, if we kind of look at both sides of this, obviously you're, um, you're uh, on a personal level going to be having a much better time of it because you're much less likely to get this kind of lower back pain. Um, you're much less likely to have the, the these kind of negative side effects of um, sat in a chair at a desk for a long period of time. Um, but also from an organizational perspective and this is something that i was having a discussion um with someone recently a fairly large international organization and they they were saying that some people in their uh senior leadership and their strategy teams and things like that can't really see the link or they they know that there is a link because they've been told but they 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 aren't um i guess hyper aware of the link between well-being of those individuals and then productivity of the overall organization but if if you are struggling with again to use the example of the back pain this kind of low level chronic back pain um you're not going to be very productive and you said yourself you know people will be struggling to do their to do their work to do the tasks that they've that they've got on their plate and from an individual perspective if you're not getting through what you what you need to do then that can have a really detrimental effect on things like your self-esteem because you feel like you're not pulling your weight and you feel like oh why can't i get anything done it's because you're distracted by by these things going on um that you that you're feeling physically mentally emotionally whatever yeah. and um and obviously that has a knock on impact to the rest of the organization as a whole and so where where i mean I, I my ideology fits in this kind of people first you should give a shit about the people in your organization because they're human beings and you don't want them to be in pain because you're a human being and you've got some kind of empathy right that's the ideal but these senior leadership and management they've got a lot on their plate as well they've got all this responsibility and they've got um all of these kind of boxes to tick and and so on and so forth which whether we like it or not is the case and so even if we have to look at it from a organizational effectiveness financial return on investment kind of standpoint looking after the fitness of your uh, of your workforce has a direct impact on how much work they can actually get done because nobody's nobody's able to work at their best when they're in pain 
It seems like an obvious thing to say, and yet it seems to be missed quite a lot of the time. Well, the, the disconnect there is empathy um, between quote-unquote lower levels of the workforce and senior leadership. Um, and and uh, unfortunately, you have people rising to those positions because they're very driven, very ambitious, and maybe they don't quite have the empathy uh, required in all, in all situations um, to be able to see and understand um, and make that connection between well-being and productivity and also what they need those people to fulfill in terms of you know targets and KPIs and things like that within within their business so um, to me the way that you just described that, that the, the disconnect there is that empathy piece do you think that that's something which is um, starting to change? I saw a poll on LinkedIn the other day where um, someone had asked whether empathy was a um, an important leadership skill or even a like a, a vital obligatory leadership skill. You have to have empathy in order to be a leader. And it was a very simple poll of yes or no. Do you think that empathy is, is a requirement to be a, a good leader? And it was 90 plus percent had said yes. And... In my experience, I would say I've, I've had a similar experience to you in that um, there are remnants of that old way of, you know, people who've risen to the top through not, I don't want to say ruthlessness, because that's maybe a little bit too harsh. Um, I mean, if we were looking back at the kind of 1960s and the kind of very male dominated things like, you know, like the series Mad Men and the advertising world, Madison Avenue and all that, it was all very ruthless, cutthroat and financial world was similar and even the public sector was similar the people who rose to positions of prominence were people who were willing to step on others i i like to think that it's been diluted a little bit and it's less ruthlessness but maybe still a kind of a, a slight um i guess slight level of self-serving maybe i'm not sure but the do, do you think that the that in very recent years, like the past five years, the past three years, do you think that empathy is becoming more of a focus point and more organisations want to have um, leaders who have empathy for, for the rest of the organisation? Well, yeah, I mean, the thing that you, you were just um, mentioning there about um, self-serving is uh, it's that self-interest piece. And, and you, can't, you can't just delete that. Um, I think it's part of a human nature to, to have self-interest and want to fulfill our own goals it's people in those leadership positions or people that are climbing into those leadership positions understanding how their self-interest fits into like the collective interest of the organization that they're working within and um, I definitely see that the sort of tide is turning in terms of empathy and it being um, thought as as a, an important leadership skill because it is um, you know, leadership is about influencing people. Um, essentially, that's what it comes down to. You're wanting to influence people towards a goal. And that might be the collective goal of that organization. But in order to influence people, you need to understand them. And that requires empathy. And it's as simple as that, really. Yeah, it does. It, I mean, when you break it down like that, it does make a lot of sense. And you can see how I um, mean, it's often considered a soft skill rather than a hard skill. And, and yet it is very clear and it is very kind of there are quite obvious um, parameters to this stuff, even though it's considered a bit wishy washy and all of this. Um, I, I think this this ties in a bit. Obviously, I've seen you talk about ambition and things like that. Um, and and this ties in with that kind of that self-interest and that wanting to achieve goals for ourselves, because that's essentially what ambition is. It's wanting to do better. It's wanting to do more. I mean, that, at least that's how I understand it. Uh, I may be completely wrong. Um, but in terms of ambition, um, in terms of ambition, is that is, is is that something which ties in with being able to, I guess, pursue your own goals but without, well, not at the expense of other people that you're that you're working with. Yeah, you could say that we all have ambition, or have ambitions, but we're not all successful. Yeah, so everyone has ambitions. Um, it's just about directing them in the right way, right time, etc. Um, that, that that meets the goals that that you want. Um, in terms of ambition, in in the context of my work, is. Um, 
that ambition often derails people's health and happiness and self-care because it's a different mindset that is required to look after yourself than is to pursue goals in, for example, the business environment or the sport environment. Mm. Um, we call like the winning, the winning mindset, which is really, um, you know, a big centerpiece of, of sport and business is that winning mindset. Um, and that's because within sport and business, there's these natural destination points. Um, you know, in, in sport, winning a game, there is an end to that game or to win the game or you want to get the medal, etc. Um, the same business, a business owner might want to exit out and sell that business. So this is end point that they can charge towards um, using that ambition and that drive. Uh, but that doesn't work in terms of health and happiness in the same way because there aren't these natural endpoints um, to your health and happiness. And also, it's never a permanent state, which is one of the things that I think people need to accept that health and happiness is not a permanent state. It's a semi-permanent or permeable state. So you have to be a bit more flexible in terms of how you operate and how you look after yourself. And that winning mindset can sometimes be a bit dogmatic. It's uh, it's interesting how um, and again I think that this is a very much a bit a bit like what I said earlier about pendulum swinging and about how well let's just say extremes are very attractive to people people love this um, love the feel of something being extreme or or, or full on or intense um, and this is why I guess we live in such a polarized society whether we're looking at it I'm not going to get onto politics don't worry. Um, but if we're um, if we're looking at society in general, it's very polarizing. You mean whether it's politics, whether it is you know stuff like all the COVID stuff over the past couple of years. Um, there seems to be very much uh, a, a big loss of subtlety and nuance and middle ground and moderation. And and I don't think this is anything new. I think that people are inherently very likely to be polarized because we like to have a very clear answer. We like to have Ah, uh, this is why, and and we don't like this uncertainty. We don't like this chaos. We don't like this confusion, and we like to be able to control. It's why it's why diets which um, promote the removal of uh, an entire food group or um, or whatever you know, people have um, this affinity for things because they go, oh, that's why that's the case. I've got a clear enemy now, and 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 that's great. Or I've got a clear hero, a clear leader to follow. And so we get this very divisive, uh, divisive world. And so people like it, this, this, um, and you see it in the personal development world of it, particularly with business, um, your kind of Grant Cardone's and, and, and stuff like that, where he's selling this, the, the sexiness of hustle and grind. And um, Gary Vaynerchuk used to do it to a certain degree. He seems to have mellowed a little bit over the past few years and start, talks a lot more about balance and and um, and uh, and moderation and happiness and being content with your life. Um, whereas before he talked a lot about, you know, if you're working a full-time job, that means that you've still got after work until 2 a.m. to work on your side hustle. And I was just like, I got caught up in that. Uh, but, but that really isn't a sustainable way of working for most people because if you're going to bed at 2 a.m. after working on your side hustle, having obviously spent no time with your family whatsoever and then you're up at seven in the morning to go and work a full-time job there, there's, that's got a that's got an expiry date that lifestyle definitely and um you know it's in my linkedin headline actually my method is an anti-hustle method um yeah. and i use that contrast i say minimum not maximum and what i mean by that is when you're talking about health and happiness build your minimums uh think about minimum um, it's not against maximum, but it's saying minimum, not maximum. Maximum is a winning mindset. So apply that in this area and apply minimum in another area. Um, and it comes back to what you were saying about polarization and sort of black and white thinking and binary thinking. Yeah. Um, and actually, you need both. You need both. Um, and that also comes back to, feeds back to that conversation earlier about resilience, because one of the central principles of resilience is flexibility and mental yeah. flexibility to be able to hold um, different or multiple perspectives um, and perceptions about the way in which either you operate or the way that in which you think um, so that you can pivot and change behaviors and, and thinking accordance to whatever's happening in the situation and, and the environment and circumstance, right? So to be resilient is to be flexible. 
Um, and that's where uh, I'm talking with people about their health and looking after themselves and using that winning mindset doesn't work and actually makes them fragile. Um, It makes it rigid. It makes it easily broken um, when you try and apply it to your health. Um, So use both. Yeah, have that winning mindset and apply it at different times and having that minimum good enough, flexible, uh, rest, reset, recharge type mindset and and use them both and learn how they, they fit together. This, the, the thing about the kind of the maximum having its place, like you're saying, you use both of them. You don't have to, again, if you would like never use the maximum, it's always about minimum. Then you're just falling into the same trap of extremes and dogmas and stuff like that again, aren't you? Because you're going, it's always this and not that. And and no, one of my favorite phrases, and I don't know whether it's a quote from someone, um, I, it probably is. It's probably something I've read somewhere because it sounds way too neat for me to have come up with myself. Um, and that's, no tool is omnipotent no tool is omnipotent no tool does everything and so i was i mean i was having this discussion on uh, in the instagram comment section of a post um about stoicism which obviously we're both big fans of um as a kind of philosophical framework um and it was about choose not to be harmed and you haven't been harmed which is an old quote from marcus aurelius and i played devil's advocate and I was like, this isn't always true. Sometimes you have been harmed and, you know, there are extreme circumstances. You know, you can't say that to someone who's been through years of abuse, for example. Choose not to, oh, well, it's, you know, you're you're only harmed because you're accepting that you've been harmed. It's like, no, screw you. That's not how this works. And the point I was making is in this comment section, I mean, comment sections on social media are not the most um balanced places are they really but the most people are going yeah exactly kind of agreeing with this post and and i i uh, i just kind of popped my two cents in because i thought even in this case um this this isn't this isn't true for all scenarios and i try and do this to myself quite a lot i try and question myself and play devil's advocate for my own beliefs and values and so i was just doing the same for for this post because i was like again this isn't going to work in every circumstance and in the same way as what you're saying about minimum and maximum there's a time and a place for everything there's different tools to be used in different circumstances and the maximum mindset is great for this kind of burst of um forward motion you can really harness that energy and and make some great progress whether it's in your health and your business whatever but you but you don't want to do it all the time you want to work through cycles i mean both of our backgrounds are in kind of health, fitness, well-being um, uh, and stuff like that. And the the idea of periodized training programs, it's that, it's that idea of you can't just go absolute flat out all the time and expect to make uh, linear progress in that way. You have to have this kind of, as they call it, undulating periodization, you know, these peaks and troughs, these times of um extreme workload perhaps and then these times of recovery it's like the seasons it's natural to work in waves we don't necessarily have to find something which we can maintain at exactly the same level exactly the same speed cruise control for our entire life but we need to find a a range that we can fluctuate within and maintain the range rather than the exact point i feel like i kind of rambled a bit then but i hope it made sense Peaks and valleys, I always talk about peaks and valleys. Um, and so in how that kind of, in the context of your health and, and things that are going on in, in life and stuff, there are peaks and valleys, right? Um, and different behaviors and skills will be required in the peaks than in the valleys. Yeah. Um, and understanding, are you in a peak? Are you in a valley? Are you going from a peak into a valley? Are you going from a valley into a peak? And just being able to kind of learn and that's what comes back to you about you know one tool doesn't work right you need multiple tools um you need tools that um can harness uh, your best efforts in that that peak and tools that are required when you're in the valley to bring you back to a peak so it's just this natural ebb and flow and learning to operate in both of those environments and having multiple tools yeah um to do so and um, what's that quote about? I always forget it, but the quote about the hammer and the nail. Oh, I can't. <laughs> I know what you mean. It's, it's more of a it's more of a concept in my head. I always just imagine you can't fix everything with a 
Lumphammer. Um, Lumphammer's great for some things, but um, yeah, I know I know exactly what you mean, but I'm not going to be able to uh, reel off that that little maxim, unfortunately. What I'll try and do is um, I'll try and find it after this and then post it somewhere. <laughs> yeah. and um, that, that, that what you were saying about stoicism and that choose not to be harmed, I think um, that there is truth to it. It comes back to like the intensity of what's harmed you, as you said, like I've had some really significant uh, like personal traumas and mental health challenges in my life and uh, they were pretty harming. Um, that kind of thought wouldn't have worked at the time, but no. what it would have allowed me to do and has allowed me to do is uh, that concept of reframing. Yep. Um, so with time and thought and changing of perceptions, I've taken something that was very harmful 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, and I've now made it into a positive. I've folded it into my personal and professional experience, and now it doesn't harm me anymore. It actually serves me. I think um, the key there that, is, the, is the hindsight, isn't it? Because like you said, it's not always when you're in that, when you're in the moment, um, when you're in a scenario or a circumstance where you are being um, put through the mill, whether that is a, a kind of physical health challenge, a mental health challenge, um, a, it could be an abusive situation or stuff like that. It's not much good saying to someone who's in an abusive relationship, well, he's he's not hurting you if uh, if you uh, if you don't see it that way. It's like exactly. yeah, it's, you know, you're 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 being a bit glib here. Um, however, if it's someone who is uh, who has come through that uh, that difficult adversity, uh, I mean, I can't even begin to imagine how hard that is because that's not something I've been through personally. So I don't want to sound like I'm glossing over anything. Um, but I've spoken to people who've come through things like that and they look back and go, okay, that, that's been formative in a way. Like I wish I hadn't had to go through it and I wouldn't wish it on anyone else. But if like it's given me these kind of perspectives, I had, um, I had a guest on a little while ago called Petra Velsabur who grew up in a, um, in a cult and it was a similar kind of thing at the time. It was horrific. Um, but it has given her, a very specific outlook on life because it's a very specific um experience that not many people have had uh so yeah i do completely agree that it can be useful with the reframing but i do find that people can sometimes rely too heavily on things like that and you know we've talked about nlp before and that kind of i know that's a that's that's um something that we've had conversations about and again as a tool there are some really great ways that nlp and the systems within it can be used but then there are people who rely too heavily on that one particular tool and assume that it is going to fit every uh every scenario and it can actually do more harm than good like any like any tool um i mean when we when we go back to there's one thing before i forget because i know what my brain's like you're talking about the peaks and troughs and you're talking about knowing what to use in the peaks what to use in the troughs what to use when you're transitioning from a peak to a trough a trough to a peak um and I guess a big part of that is knowing whether you're in one or the other. And that comes from reflection, right? And self-awareness. Self-awareness. Yeah. And and so what would you like if one of the big things I've I've found useful, I, I'm I'm quite automatic at it now. I've got I've gotten quite good at it uh, in terms of self-reflection and awareness. Um that's not something that I was born with. That's a skill I've had to develop maybe over the past seven or eight years. And it all started with journaling. And now I don't need to journal as much because it's kind of, it's an ongoing process where I'm constantly reflecting on where I am. It's a bit like when you're driving a car, you know, when you first start driving a car, you're like, right, pedal, gear stick, mirror, signal, all of this stuff, you're thinking about everything. And then eventually you're just doing it automatically. Um, is, is, that a, is that a tool that you recommend to people using journaling? Yeah, I, I personally use journaling. Uh, I've been developing that the last um, few years. I use it within my professional work. I actually teach people journaling as part of like self-awareness and resilience strategies. Um, and journaling, um, I think you can treat it like exercise in terms of there are different forms of exercise that have different benefits to them um, and uh, different goals that you have at you'd exercise differently for different goals and journaling can be used in a similar way you can do that light touch surface level journaling 
um, which could be just sort of decluttering of the mind. Um, and then you can do that deeper level um, of, of journaling around particular topics and memories that you have and things like that to kind of unpick and unlock stuff that's sat in your subconscious. Um, so journaling is, is a really basic tool and I think it's probably misinterpreted by a lot of people. Um, it's not Dear Diary. Um, and I also think probably people might struggle um, with that without a kind of a guide to it. Once you've been doing it a little while, you kind of know what works for you, what doesn't. Um, but journaling as, as a tool is, um, I was talking on a webinar the other day and I said, when you, you vent to a friend or a family member or a colleague, you're literally plucking a thought out of your mind and you're passing it to that person and they're listening. Um, the process of writing down on paper is very similar. You're taking a thought that's in your mind and you're writing it down on paper. You're plucking it out of your mind and you're putting it on pen and paper. And the kind of the psychological um, effect of that is similar to as you would talk to a friend and vent. You know, we vent to friends. You can vent on paper. It's the same sort of thing, right? So um, I think journaling is really powerful once you learn some sort of basic frameworks around what prompts you use and and how, how you do it, how it works for you. A bit like like you said with exercise, once you start understanding the how it works and what different tools are available to you, what different strategies are available to you within journaling, like you can understand what different exercises, uh, different movements and kind of what things are relevant for your goals, you can then build a uh, a program which suits your particular needs um very much the opposite of having it prescribed to you by an expert which is a great starting point because if you go to a personal trainer for example they can say ah based on your goals and based on what you've told me and based on this kind of injury background and da 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 da, da i would recommend starting off by doing this um doing this many sets of this many reps of these exercises uh, and then we'll review it in six weeks time and and see how you're getting on make some changes as we go and so on and so forth and it's similar with journaling because you know if you speak to an expert or, or somebody who really knows their stuff and uses it as, a, as part of their work like you do uh, you can say all right well maybe just try starting with this and this um, it's not too overwhelming it's like you said surface level stuff you don't need to go too deep too early um you know bring out all the trauma um and then once you understand those things you know if you've been journaling for a couple of years in much the same way as if you've been going to the gym for a couple of years and you started out with a personal trainer you've learned through trial and error and from other people uh how to how to structure these things and you could probably write yourself a pretty decent uh workout program yourself in the same way as you could write yourself a pretty decent kind of journaling uh routine yourself as well and what what works you know your goals in the gym change and your goals in journaling are going to change right you know what's what's what you're trying to achieve right now is not what you're going to be trying to achieve in 18 months it's not going to be what you need anymore it might be something else so understanding the fundamental components of a process like that can give you a huge amount of power uh and that flexibility again you know the flexibility to go right i'm, I'm not going to just keep pushing through with this one routine i've been doing even though it doesn't suit me anymore, but it's all I've been doing and it's all I know, it gives you much like the uh, earthquake-proof buildings. This is something which popped into my head when you were talking about flexibility and stuff like that earlier on. They don't build them rigid, do they? They don't build them rigid. They build them with with a kind of slight flexibility. It's like those ones where they've got like kind of a central pole and then the floors have got, they almost slide over each other. And it's just a feat of engineering. But the reason they withstand the earthquakes is because they're flexible and it, the reason the why willow trees branches don't break in a storm as much is because they're flexible they're not rigid and and rigidity is rigidity is 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 brittleness it, it makes it more easy to more easy to snap and so yeah with your journaling routines if you have that kind of flexibility within what you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis as with anything you can make it work for you on any given day any given week yeah, that's um, one of my favourite mantras just popped into my head, which is bend, don't break. Yeah. Um, which is a good reminder. Uh, and that comes back to the uh, the point I was making earlier about buffers. Yeah. And that, you know, the, the skyscraper and the, the structure of those skyscrapers and the way that they, they work is 
they've got buffers. Um, so I just see those sort of tools of resilience as um, tools and skills. They're buffers. Yeah. And you can develop those skills. You know, you, imagine you just simply scored it from one to ten and right now this particular skill for resilience is a one where you can grow it to a three and then a five and a six and however long that takes is individual to um, any person and where they started in the first place but um, you can just see uh, those skills and tools that you can use as buffers and you can grow those buffers and the more buffers that you have the more resilient you are and some of those are practical things and some of those are simply the way that you think Mm. Um, or that you develop that flexibility in the way that you think and holding different perspectives and different perceptions and, and, and like, it's, that. And, like and you like said it's, it's very individual and and your scale of improvement your one to three to six or whatever is going to be different from the next person's and and kind of comparing across doesn't really do any good because um not only do you have different priorities than the next person but you're going to be facing different challenges and different kinds of stress and different kinds of adversity and so and you had different starting points and you've had different experiences up until this point we're all kind of the sum of our experiences and so what um an improved resilience looks like is going to be very very personal um you know what's big to one person is going to be small to another and vice versa yeah which is why you need that self-awareness to kind of to help you understand where you're at uh, what your gaps are um, so that you can kind of individualize for yourself how you how you develop your your own resilience and um, but coming full circle back to fitness is resilience I've, you know that's a missing piece because you don't have to pursue really intense forms of of exercise um, to allow it to to help you build some some physical resilience right doesn't you don't have to be an athlete you don't have to be a peak performance to to benefit from um being fitter and that that making you more physically mentally resilient yeah and that's the thing you know i early on in my kind of career in the fitness industry i was very much obsessed with um is opti optimality a word i don't know made it might have just made it up optimalness whatever um but yeah this idea of of, of things being as good as they can be in fact my first my first kind of business uh, was called Optimus Health and Fitness, which is a Latin word for the best. And and so my idea was that people wanted to be optimal. People wanted to be the best they could be. Um, but that's such a fluid notion. The best you can be on any particular day is is it really varies. And the best that one person can be is different to the best another person can be. And so this kind of it's a bit pervasive through all kinds of walks of life, isn't it? Not just health and fitness, but work and stuff like that. This idea of being the best, being the best and the pursuit of excellence. And it kind of ties in with that, um, with your idea of minimum and maximum. Yes, go for the maximum now and again, go for doing the best you can when the time is appropriate. But the minimum or what some people consider to be average or mediocre there ain't anything wrong with mediocrity as a base level no we can't all be above average because that just <laughs> that that ignores what an average is um i remember there was a there was an old um thing in the department of for education because i used to be a teacher and there was a thing uh within the conservative government where i want to say it was under david cameron where they were looking and michael gove where michael gove was the the, the um minister for education and there was a target that whatever percentage of kids would be above average and everyone was like mate i don't think you understand what average means <laughs> it's like you can't have the majority of kids being above average well that's the fallacy of like the one percent isn't it people like you you mentioned there like grant uh cordonings like that um you know if you want to if you want to be one percent you know the law of averages says that 99% of people aren't going to get there. So <laughs> you just, ha you know, you have to decide, are you that person or, or are you not? And that's, of course, an individual decision. And that is where things like ambition can derail a person because ambition with the absence of like self-awareness, that's when it goes wrong. Yeah. Because you don't have those pause moments, those reflective moments on, on whatever your particular journey is. Um, 
in order to steer you in the right way, you need to be able to stop and pause and think in order to go, right, where am I now? Do I go yeah, left? Do you're I just go following right? someone else's goals, aren't you? Exactly, yeah. And like, um, I, I now start calling like conformity and comparison the enemies of mental health. Yeah. Um, I think they're going to be a um, huge yeah, enemy of mental health in the next sort of 5, 10, 15 years because of things like social media. So like outside of... Um, you know, your traumas and your tragedies that happen that affect people's mental health. Conformity and comparison are enemies of good mental and emotional health. Because if you don't have that self-awareness, you end up getting pushed from pillar to post with uh, what other people are doing um, and, and, and bouncing off them versus, you know, what's going to make you happy. Yeah, yeah. And that's it. The when you when you become more self-aware and you can understand what's actually valuable to you and what your priorities are and they might not be what you thought they were um i certainly have had some kind of light bulb moments where i've reflected on things and gone out oh, hang on a minute why am i putting so much energy into this thing when actually that's what they want not what i want what i want is x and y and i'm quite a simple person i get a lot of joy from very simple things financial success material success means very little to me and yet i got caught up in it for a long time because uh, I saw that's what other people were doing and and that's what they were chasing. And um, I thought, oh, that's what I need to chase too. And so I had a very <laughs> clear lack of self-awareness. Uh, and when I realized, actually, you know what? I don't want a shiny car and I don't want flash clothes and I don't want this and that and the other. What I want is a lifestyle which is simple and enjoyable and has meaning and has plenty of time with friends and family and all of this stuff. And I just go, actually, you know what I need to do is I need to look at, I need to look at how to cultivate that within my uh, daily existence rather than um, chasing these ever moving kind of goalposts of, of material success. And it's, it's quite, um, it's interesting how I've actually had more success in a traditional sense since letting go of that because i've been a lot happier i've been a lot more relaxed my life has been better and as a result things have kind of flowed better because i've been so stressed out about what people around me have and i don't have um so it kind of well, it, it's added so much more contentment to what's what i'm doing well that's the point about being too outcome focused isn't it because even if it's they're not material things that your goals that you're focused on you know, I had this conversation with a friend the other day. I said, you'll set a goal, you'll reach a goal. Guess what you'll do when you get it? You'll move it along. Yeah. Of course, why goal. wouldn't you make it, uh, set another goal or make it better or bigger or whatever it is? And there's nothing wrong with that. No. But the point is you need to understand that as soon as you reach a goal, you're going to move the goal. So yeah. focus on the things that get you to the goal, the skills, the behaviors, the way that you think, um, rather than the goal itself, because you will just move the goal as soon as you get there. As long as you kind of accept that narrative, um, then I think that's okay. And I think for a lot of people, they don't kind of accept and take ownership of the fact that I'm going to set a goal and then I reach it and then I'm going to move the goal. You know, be be more flexible in, in terms of um, your kind of approach to that. I had um, interesting, again, I seem to be talking about these kind of knee jerks quite a lot. Um, but my response when I came out of that kind of mindset of constant um, pursuit of goals either you know material goals or gym goals or whatever my constant pursuit of those when i finally um kicked that to the curb i went completely back the other way to i'm not going to work on anything i'm going to like my i'm, I'm going to be content with what i've got and not pursue any goals and i was still miserable <laughs> because i'd gone too far the other way and and where where i'm at now is again it's that thing of going okay i can pursue goals but without attaching my entire happiness to the achievement of that goal i can pursue goals and get the the, the joy and uh purpose and meaning from working towards something without thinking that if i don't achieve that i'm just an abject failure and it's that yeah, balance point between the two Goals that have, you know, multiple outcomes, which is why the um, conversation around things like purpose has um, developed so much in, in the last sort of decade, because purpose is a way of um, meeting your goals in kind of multiple ways. 
Yeah. Um, for me, I, I'm driven. I've got quite a strong sense of duty that underpins the work that I do now and where I want to go in the near future and, and the people that I want to help. Um, and a lot of that is um, that self-awareness, tools for self-awareness and emotional resilience passed back down to to younger people, 18 to sort of 30, because mm. I wish I would have had some of the things that I have now in my toolbox when I was that age and I didn't. So um, a goal for me is to develop um, different ways of pursuing that purpose. But that can be in there's there's different different outcomes that I can yeah. achieve to, to do that right. So it makes my goal quite resilient. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's got that flexibility because if one path doesn't work, there's plenty of other paths to take. Um, what yeah. I will say as well is that I I realised that maybe I sounded a bit anti-material goals. I'm not. If that's what someone really wants, that's cool. You know, there's 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 nothing wrong with having those kind of goals as well. Um, so an important point on that, this, actually. Huh? There's an important point on that. There's an important point on that, actually, which is um, people say that money can't buy happiness and money doesn't matter. It does matter. And it does make you happy up to a point. Yeah. What's the what's the point? I think they said it's some I think the stud, there's, there's a couple of studies on it which suggested that up until a household. And this is obviously this varies from person to person. So this average is kind of fairly meaningless in a real world context. But they did a study in the average where it didn't happiness didn't increase with income was a household income of about seventy five or eighty thousand dollars. It was a US thing. Um, which is obviously what about 60 65 grand a year uk money of a household income not personal income um so if you've got a couple of people on 30 35 grand which decent salaries you know um then above that it doesn't your happiness doesn't really increase but up to that point um it tends to because lack of money and this is something i was looking at recently i was looking at a study which showed about how many people have um, financial stresses and um, their financial well-being and and how companies can help support the financial well-being of their employees because um, of course that's one of the biggest sources of stress uh, there is is not having enough money to um, you know you talked about financial buffer earlier on most people don't have a financial buffer of three months six months they don't they're living paycheck to paycheck because the cost of living is increasing the wages aren't increasing etc cetera, etc cetera. and so absolutely money buys happiness to a point because it's it reduces your stress because if your boiler breaks or your roof needs replacing you can afford to do it uh without going into more debt and so um there's very different wanting to have enough money to provide for your family and to live a comfortable life and having enough money to um buy a fleet of lamborghinis there's it's kind of like two different ends of the scale i think yeah, it's having enough money to do the things that you want to do and the things that you enjoy. Um, and, you know, for people in business, people that own businesses, for them, that might be the option to to work on the things that they want to work on, being financially retired. Um, I, know, I know a few people that have um, financially retired and they took a little bit of time off and they went back to work. The only difference is they now they're doing something that they totally enjoy and they don't have to do it but they didn't stop working. Um, they just changed the focus of what they're doing. Um, so yeah, I think that narrative around money doesn't matter is really, you know, you, you won't find a poor person saying that. You don't be rich no, people that's that the say thing. that. It's privileged media, people right? who say that. <laughs> yeah, it's people, the only people saying that, uh, the only people saying that um, money isn't important are people who've got plenty of it. Yeah, um, <laughs> so I think it does matter, but up to a certain point, you just yeah. got to know when that point is and when you've got to it, you know, then you know, change your goals and, and and direct yourself in a different way. Yeah, absolutely. So, with all this, with all this kind of in mind, if someone was listening to this and wanted a starting point to improve their own uh, well-being, their own fitness, their own resilience, uh, what would you say would be a good starting point or or, or one piece of advice from you? Um, and also, if someone is listening to this who leads a team of people and they want to support their people to be more resilient, fitter, more well, um, and have a better quality of life, what would a piece of advice be for that person as well? Okay. Um, I think on the first point, it comes back to uh, what I was saying about understanding the winning mindset 
when it applies and when it doesn't apply. Um, and for people that are quote unquote starting out wanting to get leaner because they're overweight or get fitter because they've been inactive, et cetera, et cetera, start small. Literally everything that you've ever done in your life at some point started small. Um, so trying to, to leap to big things straight away is, is a surefire way to fail. And you'll see that in the new year. So um, cultivate this ability to have both mindsets, a winning mindset and also like a minimum mindset. Use them both, okay? And understand when they apply and for your self-care, the way that you eat, the way that you exercise, um, starting small, good enough, what's good enough today, what's good enough this week is a really good um, mentality to have to build that momentum um, while still having that winning mindset if you do have it, just applying it in different areas. Um, and then on the second point with people in their teams, I think just understanding um, flexibility and that um, everyone is different um, and that having different ways for people to improve their well-being um, is really important. Having a variety of tools um, and initiatives available um, to your team is really, really important. I think that's absolutely right. And and when you were saying about the kind of the small steps and and uh, what's good enough did make me think of uh, a little illustration I saw the other day of two ladders and people trying to climb the ladders and one ladder. It was they're both the same height, but one was very small increments. And then the other ladder, the first step was so high that the person couldn't even reach it. And the caption just said the importance of small steps. And I thought that really illustrates it nicely because it's like the ladders are the same height. The destination is the same. One one of the ladders is completely useless because the steps are too big and you can't even practically climb it. Um, and I thought that's a that's actually a really good uh, visual. Again, like I said, I'm very visual and that that gives a very good visual illustration of of why those little steps are going to get you are more likely to get you where you want to be than huge leaps. Yeah. And. and let's call it out for what it is. The thing that holds a person back, and I say this with complete compassion and no judgment, it's your ego. Yeah. Um, so, you know, try and take that out of the equation and be humble in your small steps whilst, you know, having the confidence in stuff that you're really good at. Yeah, I think that the ego does have a lot to answer for because people think small steps are kind of, and I, again, I, 100% said with compassion because I know I do this I used to do it a lot more I do it a lot less now but I'm far from perfect with this my ego still um sees small steps as being beneath me in a way where I go yeah that's not challenging enough and then I do something bigger and two weeks later I'm like that was a mistake um and so yeah I completely relate to the ego getting in the way of these small steps and there you said about that's not going to challenge me and that was what my point is. The winning mindset is about challenge. That's great. Use it when it's relevant. When you're trying to look after yourself, challenge is not always the best route. No, no. Try not to challenge yourself with, you know, the way you're eating. You don't need to challenge yourself in the way that you're eating. Yeah, there's, there's, there's enough challenge to be had without making everything a challenge, isn't there? Exactly. Um, cool. I think that, well, I mean, I, I've, I've been taking notes, which is, <laughs> so I'm sure that other people have got tremendous value from this as well. Um, Sam, if, if people have listened to this and they want to kind of come and find you online, um, see what you're up to, connect with you, read your content, watch things, listen to things, anything like that, where's the best place for people to come and, uh, come and stalk you? Uh, the best place to come and stalk me is on LinkedIn. I'm very active on there. I write regularly, um, produce content on there. So uh, if they're on LinkedIn, um, come and follow me on there and, and chat to me and uh, and send a connection. Awesome stuff. What I'll do is I'll uh, I'll put Sam's LinkedIn uh, link in the show notes. So if you're listening to this on uh, on Anchor or Spotify or anything like that, then you'll be able to click that link. If you're listening to it on Apple, you probably won't because I still haven't worked out why Apple don't like my hyperlinks um it is what it is so you'll just have to type in sam griffiths and hopefully you've connected with the right one but i'm sure you'll uh, i'm sure you'll find him 
all you need to look for is the build minimum, not maximum in the uh, in the LinkedIn headline, and you'll know you're on the right track, right? <laughs> exactly. Awesome. Sam, once again, thank you so much for coming on and having this conversation. Um, absolutely loved it. Uh, and thank you for your patience in finally, we did it, Sam, we did it. We finally got this recorded. Yeah, we hit it before the new year, just in time for Christmas. So exactly. thanks for having me on. Merry Christmas to everyone and uh, yeah. have a good new year. Fantastic. Merry Christmas to you as well, Sam. Uh, and uh, no doubt we should be chatting some more in the new year. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to Fit to Lead with me, Jay Unwin. If you're not already connected with me on LinkedIn, come and find me using the link in the podcast description and say hello. If you want me to help you improve the fitness and well-being of your team and of yourself, let's set up a call. Until next time, stay fit, stay well, and keep leading from the front.